Good morning, everybody. Well, there's Elmo. You guys are going to talk. We're going to talk about Elmo in a second. Um, you guys hear Elmo singing? There we go. Hey, so my lesson today, we're going to talk about the five seasons of faith, of life. And um, I kind of got this idea from living in Santa Clarita because Santa Clarita has five seasons that I connect with or that I think we have summer, almost summer. I'm glad summer's over. I miss summer and then fire. And fire can just kind of happen anytime, right, here in Santa Clarita. But, um, you know, it, it, is, it made me think about, like, just the seasons of life and how we are constantly going through different seasons. We're constantly going through different seasons in our, in our lives and in our faith. And we're going to look at Jesus and draw some inspiration. But I wanted to start off by asking you this question. What version of Jesus do you worship? I got this idea of Elmo, and he's going to get turned off here in a second, from a minister asking that question. I saw it online, and he said, what version of Jesus do you worship? He said, my fear is that we can relegate Jesus to mascot status. And as I was seeing that, my son was playing with his Elmo doll, and I'm like, you know what? This is like, we can treat Jesus like a little Elmo doll. Like a little Tickle Me Elmo, where he's got some fun sayings, you know, and he does a couple little dances, and uh, we, we might even memorize a few of them. I mean, any of you parents, you know, you memorize some of the little kid songs. I'm like, wow, I don't, I don't know where that came from, but I, now I know all the songs. And, um, and that's about it, this lovable, huggable, everybody, I love everybody, Jesus. And while that's true, we, we, we fail to see that, you know what, Jesus had an edge to him. He had an edge to him, but he was also soft at the same time in the same voice. He was full of conviction and full of grace at the same time. He was hard-lined and sympathetic at the same time. You know, there's just certain things that Jesus said and did that, that actually would make us a little uncomfortable. Like when he, when he came off the mountain of transfiguration with his disciples, and there was this guy that they couldn't heal. And, and what does Jesus say? Oh, perverse and unbelieving generation, how much longer do I got to hang out with you guys? Like, somebody needs to put that on a coffee mug and drink from it. But that's not always the Jesus that we like. We don't like the Jesus that, that when, when thousands of people were following him, he would teach teaching so hard that people would leave. And then he would look at his disciples, his most committed men, and say, do you want to leave too? Like, Jesus wasn't scared. Like, he was, he loved people. He was, you know, he had the loving attitude of Elmo. But, you know, we're, we're not talking about baby Jesus here. Jesus was a man of edge. Jesus was a man of grit, a man of toughness, and a man of love all at the same time. We serve a Savior. He was all things. He was all man, and he was all God he understands, he loves, and he calls us higher all at the same time. 
And so we're going to be looking at him, looking at his example. And we're going to be in Mark chapter one. And we're going to spend most of our time there. Now, when you read the gospel of Mark, I love the gospel of Mark because it's kind of it's pretty action packed. And a lot of people think that Mark was written by a guy named John Mark, and you can find him in the book of Acts, but he was a companion of the Apostle Peter, who was one of the closest men to Jesus. And Peter just told this story, and he painted this picture of Jesus as this man of action. And one of the words that you'll see in the, you see in the Gospel of Mark is immediately, suddenly. It, it, you just get this picture that Jesus was just always on the move. He was always doing something. When you read Mark, you get tired because you're like, wow, Jesus was always doing something. It was like he was doing this and then immediately he was over there and then immediately he was over here healing this person, doing this, talking to these people. Like that's just kind of the flavor of Mark. So we're going to look at we're just going to look at the first uh, 15 verses. If you can turn over there to Mark chapter one, if you don't have your Bibles, you can look on the screen, but you want to have a Bible because I'm going to be referring back to it a bunch. But in um, Mark chapter one, it says the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger. So, by the way, Mark doesn't even give us the birth narrative. And you wonder why. It's like, why doesn't he tell us about the baby Jesus? Because I think Mark's going to paint this picture a different picture of our Savior. Let's actually pray before we continue reading more. Father, we love you. We're so grateful to be able to get into your word, to be able to look into your word. God, I pray right now that as we read about your son, Jesus, that we can learn a lot about just the different seasons of our life and uh, seasons of our faith that we go through and, and, and draw inspiration from how he lived his life and from his words. We love you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once, the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended to him. 
We get this really awesome introduction about, you know, John the Baptist. He comes and then Jesus enters. He comes in and then you get the voice of God even coming and it's affirming who Jesus is. This is my son. I am pleased with him. And I love him. Isn't that what we all want to hear? And God, God saying to each one of us, I am so pleased with you. Mike, I'm pleased with you. Monolito, I am pleased with you. That's what we want to hear from God. This is my son. This is my daughter. I am so pleased with you. But before we can get to the affirmation, there's a few things that we got to see. We're going to talk about some of these seasons. And some of the seasons that I see that the gospel writer of Mark writes us or goes, takes us through, we're going to see these. The first one I see is a season of preparation. We get JB, that's John the Baptist. We'll just call him that. Let's call him JB, right? He comes in and it says he's here to prepare the way. To make straight paths for God. I think preparation is just super important. How many people here love preparation? Some of you. That's awesome. I think it's important. I think God thinks it's important. That's why he sent somebody to prepare the way. I love this quote from Abraham Lincoln. Give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. You know, preparation is needed. But let me tell you something about preparation. And many of you already know this to be true, but preparation is uncomfortable. It actually kind of feels a little bit like John the Baptist looks. It's kind of like, you know, you, you got the, this guy in like a, you know, a camel's hair tunic. That's the latest fashion of the day. He's on the New Testament uh, Arbon Detox, which was the, the locust and wild honey with a lot of gluten, uh, not a lot, no gluten in the honey. You know, he that's, you know, he's on this New Testament detox and, uh, you know, but there's this thing about preparation that it doesn't really look like real life. It doesn't look like the real thing. Anybody here that plays sports, you know this to be true. You go through all these random drills and random tasks and you're like, how is this going to help me in my game? How is this going to help help me in my in my performance? Like, can't we just scrimmage coach? You ever said that? He's like, no, 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 you got to do this drill because this is going to help you. And then next thing you know, you put all the drills together. And now you're ready for the game. That's what preparation looks like. Where you can be going through a season of preparation that just feels uncomfortable. It feels odd. It feels kind of like I'm in a wilderness. I don't know what I'm wearing. I don't know what I'm eating. I don't know why this is happening to me. God, what are you doing to me? And God's just saying, no, I'm preparing you for something. You don't know what it is. It actually doesn't look anything like what I'm preparing you for, what's going to happen. It's not looking like the real thing. But just wait. John the Baptist did not look like the guy that was there to prepare the world for a king. But that's who God sent. Some of us are in that season of preparation where we're going through something. The season of preparation seems to never end. There's always something that we're going through and we don't really know what it is. You know, I think about myself. 
Because I've taken time, I've taken time. You ever done this where you take time, you look back at your life? You look at where you're at now and then you look back at your life and you're like, oh, that's why that happens. God actually knew what he was doing in that moment. Wow, I'm here. It's like I'm a 36-year-old minister in Santa Clarita, California. I'm from Georgia. And I look at my life and I'm like, how? Like, and I look at my past and I look at, wow, God, like, you actually prepared me for a lot of this stuff. And some of it was my own foolish decisions. But you know what? I grew up in a pretty religious town. We live in a very religious town. You know what? I love religious people. Because I connect with you. Because I know you know what the right answers are as a religious person. When I came to church for the first time, I thought I was going to lead my first Bible study. I learned really quickly. I don't know what I'm talking about. I function like Elmo. I knew the cute sayings of Jesus. I knew about David and Goliath. I knew about Daniel and the lion's den. I didn't know the tough stuff. But now, I was like, I look back and I'm like, wow, God, you were preparing me. You were preparing me for something. To be able to connect with people. To be able to talk to people and say, hey, you know, I get it. I was raised in an environment where you were expected to do the right thing and your heart was never tended to. That's where I was raised. So I know that you know the right answers. My question is, do you want your heart changed? And I look at that and I'm like, God was preparing me for something. I had to live by myself sometimes because I'm like, and I'm like, you know what? God was teaching me that it's okay to be uncomfortable. God is preparing you for something and you don't know what it is. But let me ask you this. How much would your situation changed if you were prepared for it? See, that's what we want. The real question is, how much would you change if you knew that God was using your situation for something amazing to come. That season of preparation, you know what? It's always happening. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. There is a season of preparation that we are always going through. Because you got there's something always on the other side of the hill. You know what I mean? There's always something. God is always preparing you for something. So we got this season of preparation. And maybe you find yourself there. Hopefully you find yourself there. Because that's... God's just always doing that for us. But then there's this other season. And I want to talk about this one because it's not really mentioned in the book of Mark, but I think we can all connect with it. And I call it the season of hesitation. Because before you get to this affirmation from God, this you are my son, you are my daughter, and I love you and I am pleased with you. Before Jesus gets there, like there is this moment that we all go through. Well, we're about to make a big decision. We're about to say, you know what, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Or we're about to commit ourselves to something really big, a life-changing decision. And there's a hesitation that each one of us go through. You guys know what I'm talking about? Mark chapter 1, verse 9 says, just tells us this. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, when it says Nazareth, Jesus came from Nazareth to us, Nazareth, we're like Nazareth. When we look at a map of the Middle East, we we look for Nazareth. What did Nazareth mean to them back then? (laughs) Nothing. 
What did, what did Nathaniel say about Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? That's what they thought of Nazareth. Like when people ask me where I'm from, I tell them I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm not from Atlanta. I'm from Riverdale. Can anything good come from Riverdale? You know, I love, you know, we got, like we live in Santa Clarita. The only reason you guys know about Ottumwa, Iowa, is because Ron and Mike and Tom Bird are from there. Like, can anything good come from Ottumwa? (laughs) You know, how about you ask Sherry Jones, can anything good come from Selkirk? You know, ask Dave Mancini, who's about to have a baby, baby girl. Can anything good come from Snellville? Yeah, Mary, Marie came from Snellville. Can anything good come from Nazareth? That's what they thought about Nazareth. Can anything good come from my situation? Can anything good come from being a student? Can anything good come from being single or can anything good come from my broken heart or from my cancer or from my high school? Can anything good come from this situation that I'm in? We hesitate. God takes people in the most likely and the most unlikely places and does amazing things with them. Jesus came from Nazareth. To Galilee to be baptized. You know how far away that was? About 70 miles. Jesus walked or rode a camel 70 miles to get baptized. It was intentional. He made the decision and he stuck with it. What's stopping you? What's causing hesitation in your life to make a decision like that? To make a decision to to get baptized? Or to make a decision to do something radical with your life? to, to, To make a decision to change? What's stopping you? What's causing hesitation in your life? I want to look at this video. We got I got a little video I want to show you because there was a recent teen baptism up in Canada. And I know we complain about the, the wet weather out here. And uh, Alex, I don't know if you had any doubts before your baptism today. of like, oh, we, am I still going to get baptized? It's raining. You know, we live in California. I got it. But hopefully this video quells all excuses that you've ever had about getting baptized here in sunny California. Okay. You are ignited. Hey. That's how they baptize the teens in Canada, apparently. In Selkirk, Canada, there you go. That's what happens, where Sherry's from. (laughs) What's causing hesitation in your life? These guys, I mean, they they had to cut out a block of ice to do this.
I mean, that was just amazing. And we talk about these seasons. We got the hesitation, the preparation, the whole goal we're trying to get to is this affirmation from God of, man, you are mine. I'm pleased with you. But here's the thing about affirmation. I don't know about you guys, but we look for it in the wrong places. I've done this myself. I love going to Chick-fil-A. You guys know this. Y'all know about my feet, my, my, my love for Chick-fil-A. My obsession really is what it is. My obsession for Chick-fil-A. And I did this a few weeks ago, okay, and, and I'm in line, and I got my two boys with me, and I'm like, you know what, I need a little breather, uh, The house, it's, it's raining outside, we just need to get to Chick-fil-A, let's go there, they got the little play area, I'm going to get them some nuggets, and uh, we're going to have a good old time, and we're in line, and you can, I am just visibly frustrated, I mean, it's, I am not reaching out to anybody in my line, and nobody's wanting to dare look at me, because I'm just like, Come on, come, get, Levi, get, Judah, sh, sh, sh. you know, like doing that. You know, you can't, you know, you, you can't really say much, you know, like you're in public. But, uh, you know, but in my heart, it's like, you know, there's some, um, I don't cuss at all, but, you know, I felt like saying shut up or something like that to my kids. And I'm like, and it's like one of those, like, you don't do that. But I just remember feeling this angst in my heart. And this, 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 I'm just like, oh, I'm so frustrated with how my kids are acting. And then we get to the table and they're eating and they're being so nice and they're being so sweet and we take a picture. <laughs> and I sent it to some of my family and the response was, you're such a good dad. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, oh, if you guys only knew what was happening about 40 seconds ago. When I was like ready to, you know, like, okay, like they were just frustrating me so much. You know, and this is how we are with affirmation. And we, we do it, whether it's with our friends and our family, we post something online, just hoping that somebody can tell me something good about myself. Like, hey, you're just, you're such a good dad. You're such a good mom. Like, don't we look for that? We look for that affirmation. The only problem is, and my fear, is we look for it in the wrong places. The affirmation that lasts will only come from God. Jesus came from Nazareth. He was baptized by John. And now, that could be kind of confusing to us. Because if we're sitting here like, don't you get baptized because you want your sins forgiving? Didn't Jesus have no sin? Mark doesn't tell us. Mark's all about action. He's just kind of moving to the next thing. You read in the Gospel of Matthew, though. Jesus approaches John to get baptized. And John's like, I'm so unworthy. I can't even untie your sandals. And Jesus says, no, this has to be done. To fulfill all righteousness. He said, I want to identify with each one of you. Because one day I'm going to call you to do the same thing for other people. This is me submitting myself to my father. This is my act of obedience to him. Jesus' power lay, lays in his submission. John chapter 5, verse 30. You can write it down if you want. But it says, Jesus says, By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. 
For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Philippians 2, it says he submitted himself to death, even death on a cross. Jesus got baptized. And when he did, this voice came from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. And the affirmation, it came before, notice this when you read it, it came before he did anything else. It came before any miracle it came before any amazing sermon that he preached. It came before he did any, any, anything, really. But it came after his obedience. You know, maybe that's where you're at. Is you're in this season of affirmation. Here's the point. God loves you no matter what you, who you are. Bible says that we're made in his image and that's and his love is not contingent on anything. His love for you is not contingent on anything you've done or will do. His love for us never changes. It never changes. His love for his creation has never changed. Jesus's affirmation from God came before anything else he did. It came before any performance he had. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you're here and you, you've heard the whole God loves you so much that all it is is just blah, 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 blah. You ever feel like that, parents? I feel like that sometimes when I hear from my dad. He tells me all the time, I'm so proud of you, son. It's blah, 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 blah. You ever feel like that? Somebody saying, I love you, and it's just we've heard it so many times that it just doesn't really stick anymore. Now you need to slow down and let it stick. Slow down and let God's affirmation for you stick. That he loves you no matter what. It's not about what you did or what you're going to do. That you were worth every drop of blood that was sacrificed. That that's, you're made in his image. He just wants a relationship with you. And he will not love you any more tomorrow than he loves you today. God loves you. God loves you. We, we need to just... We need that affirmation from God sometimes, right? Where we just say that to ourselves. And when you know, and here's the thing, when you know there's someone out there that's like way bigger, way more important that really cares about you, you tend to not think about what everybody else thinks. And you're like, man, God loves me. So I'm going to do the right thing no matter what. I don't care what anybody says because God loves me. We need to be able to receive and enjoy God's affirmation every day. Because otherwise, you're going to find yourself in a position looking for affirmation from other people. And guys, I don't care how close they are to you. It's never, ever going to be enough. It's never going to fill you to the point that God's love for you can fill you. It says, the voice came. Now, here's something when you read the text in, in John or Mark chapter one says, just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice of heaven came from he a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. It came before any of his performance, but after his obedience. Now, obedience is one of those words that. That might be the word that we hate the most, right? Because nobody tells me what I want to do. You can't make me do nothing. 
Anybody ever felt that? Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. We don't really like that whole idea of obedience. You know, but here's the thing. Some of us want to hear God is pleased with us before the obedience. We want to be set free before we hold to the teaching. We want the peace of God, but we don't want the obedience part. And that's where we find ourselves. I read this in a book. It said, I think, it said, the book said, I think many people would like to have the desirable results and benefits of the Christian life without having to pay the price. In other words, they would like the affirmation that they are forgiven, but they still want to live as they please. They don't want to put their complete faith and trust in Jesus. Guys, that type of thinking just doesn't fly. It doesn't work. We can't have this life-transforming privilege of God's peace without first meeting God's requirements. Peace comes after obedience. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're in this place of not having the peace of God and you know what it is, you, you feel it, you know this, maybe it's waiting on your obedience. You know, the church, it can be a funny place sometimes. Anybody here said uh, somebody's asked you to do something and you really don't want to do it? So you said, I'll pray about it. <laughs> or, you know, I just, I know you want me to sacrifice. I know you want to, me to make that commitment, but I just don't really feel at peace about it right now. Anybody ever said that one? Anybody ever heard? I mean, it's like, it's, sometimes it's funny when, with the stuff that we'll say in church where the rest of the world just says no. But we'll mask our decisiveness or our lack of decisiveness in spiritual terms. Like, let me pray about it. Knowing full well that you're not going to pray about it and knowing that you're not going to make the decision. You know what I mean? You ever done that? I mean, I've done that, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying, to, telling you guys something that I personally haven't done. You know, it's like, hey, can you do this? Uh, let me, um, can you help this? Can you help me move? Let me pray about it. I really don't feel at peace about this move that you have going on. Hey, Aaron, can, can you be committed to your family group? Mm, I don't feel at peace about that. I'm not really sure. got quiet. You guys were laughing just a second ago. I thought my group leaders might be like, yeah, come on. We wait for the peace of God. Without the obedience. Affirmation follows obedience and brings peace. Affirmation follows obedience and brings peace. It's where you say, I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to do what's right and the peace will follow. I'm going to commit myself to God. I'm going to commit myself wholeheartedly to him and the peace will follow. Affirmation follows obedience and brings peace. The whole point, guys. We've got to stop waiting to feel like it. For everyone to understand it, for it to start to align, for all the stars to align, for me to make my one decision. We've got to stop waiting for the anxiety to completely go away. We've got to stop waiting to pray. We've got to stop waiting to present all our requests to God. And then what does it say? And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart 
and minds in Christ Jesus. What are we waiting for? Obedience brings peace. And I love in Mark's gospel, because right after this, what's he say? And at once, right after this, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended to him. Right after the affirmation came the temptation. And maybe that's where you find yourself, and we're bringing it in for a landing here, because some of us find ourselves in this stage. We find ourselves in this place of temptation. And I can tell you this, as soon as you decide to walk with God, as soon as your faith is affirmed with God, you will have the opportunity to prove it in the desert. That's just the way, it's, that's just the way it is. As soon as you decide to make that commitment, okay, Alex, as soon as you, you get baptized, you're getting baptized this afternoon, you will have an opportunity to prove it this week and next week. And this year, it's going to be there. We've all had that. You all know that as soon as you made that decision, that first year, you're like, wow. I felt like I was in the desert. We go through that season of temptation. Jesus, you couldn't have Elmo Jesus and get through the desert. That just don't work. Those nice little quotations that you write on your wrist or write on, you know, write on a, you know, a, a, a T-shirt or something like that. That just don't work. You, you need the, the, the spiritual toughness of Jesus. You need the grit of Jesus. You need the, the Jesus that knows the word. Now, Mark doesn't give us all the details. He doesn't tell us that Jesus was fasting for 40 days while he was in the wilderness. All we know is that the same spirit that was at his baptism led him into the desert where the temptation was waiting. It doesn't tell us really any other details. It just says he was there, he was tempted, he was with the animals, and the angels attended to him. You read in Matthew and Luke about the temptation. And what does he say? What is, how does Satan tempt him? He says, if you are the Son of God. If you are the son of God, if, hey, if you're a child of God, hey, if you, if you really are committed, if, prove it. Turn these stones to bread. Jump off the temple. Prove it. He gets into a scripture battle with Jesus, which is a bad move. You don't really get into a scripture battle with the literal human Word of God. I mean, Jesus was the Word of God. Right? I mean, he gets into that scripture battle with him and he says, he's like, I don't need to prove it. It is written. It is written. If you're facing temptation, and as you go throughout the day and you're going through these seasons of temptation, you know, seasons sometimes, you know, I grew up, I, I lived in Colorado for a year. And I remember the, the second day that I moved there, it was like you know, it was snowing in the morning and it was 70 degrees later that day. And I was like, this is crazy. And sometimes that's how the seasons of life can be. It's like you, you started off the season, the day prepared. There's some hesitation. You feel affirmed by God. Next thing you know, you're getting tempted. And that's just how it goes. And you know what? 
What's Jesus say? It is written. It is written. I don't need to prove it to you. It is written. I was, I was affirmed by God. I am his son. I am loved by him. I, he is pleased with me. I don't need to prove anything. I'm his. I just need him. And I think that is the greatest temptation that we face today. Is being and identifying with something else other than God. And finding our value in something else other than God. And that's why we turn to all these different temptations. It's not always substance. It could be people. It could be priorities. It could be anything. And we are tempted all the time by Satan. Where he says, hey, God's not enough. And I'm here to tell you that he is. Because after the temptation, there needs to be another season that comes. And this is where we all want to get to. This is the season of proclamation. Because after the temptation, Mark's, or Mark's gospel says, well, we'll read Luke 22 in a second. But it says, after John was in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And that's where we all want to get to is where we get to this season of proclamation, where we're out there telling people that, you know what? Like God has done amazing things in my life. You know, I appreciate as a church, we do this every Sunday. We have somebody come up here and share their life about what God has done. I appreciate what Dave said about how God has changed his life. At the Women's Day, you got to hear some amazing proclamation about what God has done in their lives by Marie and by Jen O'Connor. Like, and that's what we do. But we don't have to wait till an opportunity to be asked to speak at communion. You can make this proclamation about what God has done in your life any day, at any time. I look out into our church and there are so many people here that have stood the test of time. The question I would ask you is, you know what? Am I talking about it still? Am I proclaiming the good news? We looked at this scripture a couple weeks ago. Colin, our soon-to-be elder, shared this scripture. And it was the time at the, the Last Supper and Jesus is having this interaction with Peter and Peter is basically telling Jesus, who's, Jesus has just told him, hey, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter is denying that that temptation, that he's going to be overcome by that temptation. He's like, that's not going to happen. Not me. I will die with you. And I love what Jesus says. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all, sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He says, hey, I've been spending three years with you, preparing you. Because I've got big plans for you. I've been spending three years getting you ready. You know how I feel about you, Simon. You know that I love you. I've been praying for you. And you're going to be tempted And you know what? You're going to fail. But afterwards, when you stand back up, strengthen your brothers. Proclaim. Tell people about what God has done in your life. You know, each one of us go through times of temptation and each one of us have failed during those times of temptation. That's why we need God. But let me ask you, how often are you proclaiming that? 
How often are you telling people, you know what, here's how God took me out of the wilderness. Here's what God has done in my life. When you leave here today, I want to ask you, I want to challenge you to do something. One, identify with the season that you're in. Identify. Maybe you're in a season of hesitation. Maybe you're here and you, you know, like this is like your second church service because you went to Women's Day and you're like, I want to come and check this out. And you're in this place of hesitation, trying to decide, what do I do next? Ask somebody to study the Bible with you. Don't wait for that. Don't wait. Don't. Don't wait for the peace to happen. Don't be like, well, I don't really know. You know, like just just ask. Okay, just ask them. And then if you but if you find yourself in this season of temptation, get help. Get help. We're not meant to do life alone. But work with all your heart to get to this point of proclamation. Where you're out there telling people, here's what God has done in my life. Here's how God has worked through all the seasons of my life. Here's how God is moving in my life. Here's the good news about what God is doing for me. And I got to share it with you. Let's be men and women of faith. Let's be men and women who when we leave here, we're proclaiming the good news. When we leave here, we're telling people about it. Let's stand up and we're going to close with one final song.